how great it is to, to not have to look at a camera alone today, but to be able to see you all. So as we get started today, I want you to, I want to ask you a silly question. Is that okay? Can I, have I, have I been here long enough to, I, I know I probably ask silly questions all the time, so why ask for permission, right? Yeah, yeah, the silly answer is what I have to be ready for, right? So consider for a moment, okay? If you were to choose, what would be your spirit animal? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> I know, it's silly. It is a silly question, especially whenever we're here at church, right? To ask a silly question about spirit animals. But I want you to stick with me here. Because if you were to choose your spirit animal, what would it be? Would you, a tiger, oh, would you stand up and yell, Wolverine? You know the reference, right? Wolverines. Or, or, or what, what, let's see, how about this, a kitty cat? No, you wouldn't choose a kitty cat, would you? Would you choose a lion, tigers, bear? There we go, yes, absolutely. Or how about a snake? No, no, nobody would choose a snake. No one, no one as sly as a snake here. How about a giraffe? I got a long neck, you know, a giraffe, a bird, a hawk. Don't say falcon in my presence, okay? And we'll be all right. Well, here's the thing about Scripture is that Scripture already has your spirit animal laid out for you. Isn't that great? Isn't it good? I mean, we say that, you know, the God speaks, you know, the Word speaks in every area of our life. And when it comes to who you are, it says exactly who you are in John chapter 10. Jesus said it himself. You're a sheep. Bah, you are a sheep. How great. How wonderful is that? Think about that. According to Jesus, you are a sheep. Your spirit animal is a, is a sheep. And that's not necessarily a good thing, is it? Do you know of any school or university that has a sheep as their mascot? Anyone? The Navy is a sheep. It's three lambs, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, go Navy. Go Navy. All right, so you already debunked my sermon here. I'm, I'm done. I've been on safari in Africa, and I don't remember the tour guide with, with the machine gun now. You have to go on a safari with the tour guide with the machine gun. I don't remember him saying to me, Watch out for those sheep. I'm here to protect you from the sheep. We've ne I've never heard that. They're not predators. None of you go on a camping trip worried at night that a lamb is going to make its way through your campsite. Right? No, we, we worry about what? Bears, right? Bear, not, not sheep. No one climbs up into their hunting stand. Can't wait for the head of that sheep that they're going to mount. Right, right. We don't we don't hunt them down either, do we? No, we don't. We don't think of sheep in that way. So, forgive me if I offend you in this, but but sheep, for the most part, are considered dumb animals. Have you ever seen a sheep trained for a circus act? I don't think so. Uh, consider their, their their the way that they defend themselves. There's no claws, no fangs, no horns. There's no way for them to protect themselves. They can't run away because they're not fast. Did you know that they can't see 15 feet in front of them? 
Maybe you're beginning to see why we're kind of like sheep. <laughs> they have no camouflage unless they're in Antarctica. They frighten easily. They're easily confused, and they will wander off without ever realizing what they've done. Oh, okay, maybe now we're, we get it a little bit, right? They aren't intimidating. You could say their bark is worse than their bite, but really it might actually be the other way around for them to, if you think about it. And yet God's word describes us to them. And in some cases it hits it. But it hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? It hits the nail on the head. God knows his creation. He knows what he created. And he knows how to describe our behavior at times. Weasley or sly as a snake. Sometimes it's ferocious as a lion. If, you, if your favorite book of the Bible is like mine, the Song of Solomon, beautiful as a gazelle maybe. And then here, dumb as sheep. And the beautiful thing about it is that Jesus didn't mind calling us, calling himself our shepherd. How beautiful is that? He didn't mind calling himself the shepherd to some wandering, lost, ignorant, dumb sheep. Matthew 9.36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So as we continue our sermon series today that we began last week on the I Am Statements of Jesus, we're looking at, well, what was made popular in the Psalm, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And now here we are in the New Testament, and Jesus refers to himself as the Good Shepherd. Let's take a look at this passage. Um, let's look at, uh, we're in, what, John chapter 10. Let's start with verse 1. Sound good? I think that's a good plan. I'm glad I had the plan. All right. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a chief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling him, telling them. Therefore, Jesus told them again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And we'll stop there. So what we find in this passage, actually, are, are two I am statements that, you know, they, they work in conjunction with each other. I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. For, for all intents and purposes today, we're going to focus on the second one, but we might circle around and uh, look at the first one just a little bit. Um, they both work together in, in, in shaping the illustration of Jesus' role as the shepherd. So we'll, we'll get to the gate part, and as long as we're in the sermon series, we'll have plenty of opportunity too. But first, let's consider our first point, that Jesus even wants to be our shepherd to begin with, which is what I started off with before we got into our passage. How great is that? That Jesus actually wanted this job. In fact, it even says in verse 18, no one takes this job from me. I take it on my own accord. He wants the job. He's taken on the job and no one's going to replace him on this job. So let's talk about it for just a moment. Recognize that this, this job, this occupation being one of the, you know, I guess one of the most dangerous ones that you could have. But also one of the most dirtiest ones that, that you, might, uh, you might have. Um, being out in the countryside for weeks, let alone, you know, with all of the, you know, dirtiness that, that comes along with that. Not being able to, to shower or take baths, well, shower, well, take baths, okay? Take baths and change your clothes and having to deal with these sheep who, sheep are, you know, we in our little children's depictions of them, you know, nice of white, little fluffy hair, but whenever you really see them, you know, out grazing and all, they, they're really nasty and nappy and the, the, the wool is just really not all that nice at all to look at. And they're smelly, stinky, stinky too. But consider that his, his role is to take them from field to field because sheep would just sit there and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat until they ruined a pasture. And so the shepherd's responsibility was to recognize that and get them pushed along or, you know, would call their name, whistle at them, or whatever tick, tick, tick he might have that, that might get them to notice him and start walking his direction. He was responsible to making certain that they moved around in the countryside and, and they, for them to be able to graze. He was responsible for protecting them, of course, from, from wolves and from predators and, and whatnot. Those that wanted a midnight snack, you know, he would have to sleep with one eye open. Anyone had to sleep with one eye open before? Had to sleep with one eye open in order to, to protect and be on the watch and yet have rest at the same time. Uh, King David, he was known for warding off or killing even lions and bears and, and, and such. And that was, that was part of recognizing him and who, and who he was before Samuel anointed him as king. But Jesus brings up an interesting point in his message here. That when the time came for those predators to arrive, when they were put on the spot, there was a definite difference between a hired hand and a shepherd. Between someone hired to do the job and someone who actually owned the sheep, 
someone with skin in the game, something to lose. A hired hand who's put on the spot, well, he says very clearly in verse 12, not being the shepherd, not owning the sheep, when he sees the wolf coming, is quick to do what? Abandon, run, run for his own life, not caring about the sheep. But Jesus says that he's not just some hired hand. He's just not another hired hand. He's someone who has ownership over the flock, ownership over the sheep. How does he have ownership? Because we recognize he's the great I am. And from last week's message, as the I am, we recognize that he is also creator of that which he owns. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. So as the great I am, we recognize that we were created by him. We were created for him. And so, as shepherd, he definitely has skin in the game. He has skin in the game. We're important to him. We have value to him. And so, as he says, he willingly took on the role, the role of shepherding. Secondly, as the good shepherd, he knows his sheep completely. Verse 3 tells us that he knows us by what? By name. He knows us by name. Luke 12, 7 tells us that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Psalm 139 says that he knows when we sit down and when we rise up. And that he knew us when he formed us in our mother's womb. 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us he knows the heart. Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has plans for us. He knows what those plans are. This shepherd knows his sheep inside and out. He notice, knows us so well that there is nothing you could ever tell Jesus about himself that he doesn't already know. That there is nothing that you can hide from Jesus that he doesn't already know about you. That there's nothing that you can keep from him that you might be able to think, well, I can hide this from him. He knows it's there. He knows you completely through and through. And yet, he still wants to be your shepherd. And still, he wants to shepherd you. Even knowing the dangers of what such a role would entail. Laying down his own life. Even knowing how rebellious and how prone to wandering we are and him having to come after us time and time again yet he still chose that role that should mean something especially given the thought that the hired hand would quickly turn and run jesus chose to be the shepherd who would lay down his life for the mutton for the sheep, for the sheep that he knows inside and out, for the sheep that he knows are going to turn and wander, 
for the sheep that he knows that are going to be rebellious, for the sheep that he knows that are going to trip over their own feet from time to time. He's still going to chase after them. If you turn to Luke chapter 15, you have three stories that he gives. The story of the lost coin, the story of the lost son, but he starts it off with, with the parable of the lost sheep. And in Luke 15, 4, he says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who do not need to repent. Is that not what Jesus did when he left heaven's throne? When he put on garments of flesh and took on the occupation of shepherd. He left the 99 to seek out and search for the one. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. In Luke 15, Jesus gave us the beautiful imagery of, of what it's like when one goes astray. He goes after them. He goes after her. He's a good shepherd because he knows us and he knows us well. He's a good shepherd because he chose an occupation that, well, that he could never sleep doing. Because he would always be chasing after. Seeking, shepherding, guiding, leading beside still waters, leading beside green pastures. Just like Psalm 23 tells us. Well, this actually leads us to our third point. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He does all this even knowing that what it's going to lead him to. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I believe we see this three times in the passage, do we not? Verse 11, verse 15, and verse 17. We see him say it three times. Maybe like a trinity of times. Maybe, to get the point across. In each of these instances, it's recorded that it is by his willingness, his free personal choice to do it. So here's an interesting concept for us to consider. Because typically, it is the sheep, the lamb, the best one, the most perfect one, not even the most, but the perfect lamb that had to be chosen by the shepherd to be taken to the synagogue, the temple, to be sacrificed, was it not? It was the sheep... Or it was the shepherd that had to choose which sheep was going to be sacrificed this time. And yet as the good shepherd, it is he who lays down his life. 
That's what makes him truly good. His willingness to go to the slaughterhouse in place of the sheep. His willingness to put himself in their place. To put himself in our place. And this is what turns the entire sacrificial system upside down. It's what obliterates it. Because in the end there is no perfect sheep. There's only a perfect shepherd. He offers himself to be the sacrifice. Consider Romans 5, 7. It says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our religious vernacular, we call this the substitutionary sacrifice. It's a pretty good word, right? Substitutionary. That means that what I owe myself, the debt I deserve to pay, he stepped in and paid it for me. He looked at all the sheep and he said, I'm the best sacrifice. He became the sacrifice. He substituted himself. He stepped down off of his throne and stood before the judgment seat and he said, I died for him. I died for her. Or in light of the illustration that he uses here, the shepherd stood in the way and he took on the predator himself. He laid down his life. He became the substitute. He took the place for the sheep. He became the substitution. I mentioned earlier to you, Isaiah 53, 6. says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the Messiah, the Christ, the iniquity of us all. Just like Romans 3, 23 says that, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have gone astray. And here, 500 years later, give or take a few, in John 10, whereas God told Isaiah to prophesy of one who would come, Jesus said, the shepherd is here. He calls himself the good shepherd, the godly shepherd, the holy shepherd. He isn't your typical shepherd. He's the good one. And he says earlier, he says, the sheep know his voice. We know whenever he's calling. We know that voice when he's saying us, now is the time. Come, follow me. It says in verse 3 and 4, he says, The watchman opens the gate for him, the good shepherd, and he speaks their voice. He speaks his voice. The, shepherd, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. They follow him because they know his voice. 
Have you heard that voice? Do you know the voice of your shepherd? Even when they're going through the countryside and he's walking in front of them. You know that's what he does. The shepherd walks in front. And whatever sounds that he's making or whatever tune that he's singing that they hear and they listen, it steers the sheep toward that voice. Sure, he might have a you know, a little shepherd's staff. To, he has to grab him around the neck and pull him into line from time to time. But that's what he does. That's who he is. He leaves the 99 to look for the one. He calls us by name. And in the Luke 15 passage, here's what he says when that one is found. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones who do not need to repent. Repent. 